Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, welcome to Plow and Hose. I am so glad y'all joined me in my backyard today been kind of a funny week I mean here we are it's the first full week of April and we're already getting a taste of summer I mean what is up with that 90 degree temperatures do we really have to have humidity and 90 degree temperatures right now and massive amounts of oak pollen yuck it's just so gross my face has been itchy all week and my car is yellow from all that pollen and we ended up turning the air conditioner on um, because of all the humidity and we didn't want to have all that pollen in our house either it's just just gross now once the oak pollen is done then the pecan pollen will start Maybe we'll luck out and we'll get a good rain and that will help wash um, some of the pollen out of the air, but uh, I'm not really sure where the forecast is going to be, so we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Um, Here in Taylor and around Central Texas, we are starting to see a lot more of our lovely Texas wildflowers popping up along the roadside. The wildflower watchers, um, those folks, um, they I've been checking on the internet and stuff and they are still thinking that it might be a couple of weeks for the very best of the wildflower um, blossoms to come along. You know, that freeze in February has delayed a lot, not just the blue bonnets, but all of our perennial bedding plants too. You know, even though it feels like summer, we still have some really pretty spring flowers coming up. I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record, um, but I got to keep reminding people to be patient with their plants. The extreme freeze really did a number on the top portions of our plants, and it's going to take some time for them uh, to recover from that stress. Most of our um, well-established trees and shrubs and established native perennials um, are, are slowly coming back. If your plants had a strong root system, they are more likely to bounce back pretty quickly. We just got to be patient and let them um, take some time and break the dormancy. I have a lot of dead parts on my shrubs and on some of my trees and things that I thought were goners are starting to put on some new growth down at the base. I am finally seeing some life on my pomegranates and all of my fig trees have brand new growth. It's going to be like starting over completely with those fig trees, um, but I'm happy that I don't have to buy any replacement trees. You can safely prune out any dead wood right now. Um, If it's brittle or if it snaps, just go ahead and clip it off. 
If you're not sure, you can do a test on the wood. Just scrape the branch with your fingernail or like a thin blade and look for any green. If you don't see any green, if it's brown and it's brittle, then that section is dead. But check it in several, several places. If your shrub or perennial seems completely dead after you've checked it, you can always cut it way back to the ground and leave it a little bit longer to see if that helps stimulate any new growth as the weather warms up. I was convinced that some of the purple trailing lantana that we have at work was totally dead. Um, I felt that way because the gold lantana um, started coming back a week or two ago, um, but this week I noticed that um, there was some new growth on that purple lantana. It's a good thing that lantana is at work and not at my house because I probably would have dug it up because I was pretty convinced that they were dead. Anyway, it was a good reminder for me. Patience really can pay off. Now, of course, you may just want to go ahead and remove a plant if you know it's not going to look good. Maybe it's not going to look symmetrical or there's like a weird gap with your plants. Um, there's something to be said for starting fresh. So don't feel bad for wanting to dig up something completely out. If you want to, you can always relocate it to a pot or move it to another spot in the yard or just pitch it into the compost and be done. April is prime vegetable planting season you can put in tomato eggplant and tr uh, pepper transplants as well as sweet potato slips you can find sweet sweet potato slips at your local nursery or you can order them online but if you're interested in starting your own sweet potato slips it's really easy and if you get started now there is still time to grow some and get them planted um, by the end of the planting season you just want to get them in the ground by the end of June so you you can harvest them in the fall last week I spent some time talking about how to grow slips so be sure to um, go download episode 13 from wherever you get your podcasts like Spotify or Apple um, it's going to be the April 4th show where I talk all about how to uh, grow your own sweet potato slips now, there are also tons of plants that you can start from seed during um, the entire month of April. If you soak large hard seeds like beans and peas overnight in a dish of water, your seeds can germinate and sprout faster. All seeds need moisture, but the small little seeds don't benefit from um, an overnight soak like the larger hard seeds. Rehydrating your seeds can really shorten the germination time. The night before you plan to plant your seeds, all you need to do is get a small cup or a dish and add your seeds and then add some hot, um, warm water. Hot water from your tap is perfect to use. You don't need to boil it or anything. Um, that combination of the warmth and the moisture is gonna stimulate your seed to grow. Now, you can over-soak your seeds, so try not to let them soak for more than 24 hours. Longer than that, and your seeds will lose viability. If something comes up and you aren't able to plant your seeds like you planned, then 
um, just drain the water from them and put this, um, the seeds on a paper towel. And then you can put those in a plastic baggie and just stick those in your fridge. Don't leave them in there indefinitely. Try to get them in the garden as soon as you can. Right now, we can plant beans, melons, Swiss chard, corn, cucumber, okra, southern peas like black-eyed peas, and then of course we can all the types of squashes. So cucumber, um, summer squash, winter squash, pumpkins, and gourds. Speaking of gourds, I ordered some lufa seeds to grow this year. I've grown them before. Um, we grew some a few years ago, and um, this year I decided that we should try to grow them again. They are a really great vining plant and can quickly cover a fence, and they put out sweet, simple yellow flowers that when they are pollinated, they develop these long kind of cucumber-looking fruits. They are sometimes called sponge gourds because if you let the fruits fully mature and then dry out, and then you can peel off that crusty outer skin, and they look a whole lot like a sea sponge. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, those blonde, kind of straw-colored, scrubby bath accessories that are used for um, washing, and they can help ex exfoliate your skin. Anyway, uh, leafas are multi-purpose gourds when matured and dried they're really tough and fibrous and they're used uh, you can use them in the bath you can use them in the kitchen for um, cleaning and scrubbing pots but when they're young and fresh loofahs are tender and edible and they're actually a staple vegetable in china and india they are mild and a lot like um, zucchini. They just kind of soak up and take on the flavors of other ingredients. And they're really popular in saucy type dishes like stir fries and curries. Leafas are a great source of nutrients like vitamin A, the B vitamins, potassium, manganese, and of course, fiber. Leafas make a really nice annual vine. One plant can grow up to 30 feet and it can cover an ugly or a boring fence fairly quickly. They have just a sweet, delicate flower and they have like five rounded petals and a lovely sunshiny lemony yellow color. The flowers get to be about the size of a tennis ball and the bees and other pollinators just love them. I am a big fan of weird and unusual plants and loofahs really fit the bill. You can wash yourself with them. You can scrub your dishes with them. They have a pretty flower and you can eat them. Loofahs have a really long growing season. So it takes about two and a half, three months to grow and set fruit. To enjoy loofahs as a vegetable, pick them when they're baby-sized, like two or three inches long. They look a whole lot like a, like a pickling cucumber, but they're smooth and they're pale green. This is when they are the most tender and mild. You can eat them raw, 
Um, they are kind of bland like raw zucchini or yellow squash, but most folks cook their loofah because they just take on the flavors from other ingredients. Now, if you want to grow some of your loofahs for sponges, all you need to do is just let them grow. When the fruits get to be about six inches long, that's when they start developing their fibrous um, vascular system. This is when they start getting tough and the fruit becomes kind of bitter and unpalatable. But for sponges, you just gotta let them grow and they, they'll grow and grow and grow and they can get to be like two feet long and probably well, three, three inches across they will start to turn yellow and then brown and then they'll um, dry up and be really crispy. Once the plants are completely dried up, um, you can pick them off the vine. They are usually kind of dead and done by late November here in Central Texas. Um, late November is usually when we get our first frost. After they are dried, all you need to do is kind of crack and peel that crispy outer skin off. Pick off all that dry skin and the bits of pulp. Trim the ends off and then shake out the black seeds. You can save those and use them for next year. If your loofahs um, are a little discolored from drying on the vine, you can just soak your loofah sponges in some diluted bleach water. So use like 90% water and 10% bleach and then rinse them off really well. That's gonna remove any, any stains and your loofahs will be fresh and clean and ready to use. Loofah sponges are really durable and they last a long time. If you, let, uh, if you keep one in the shower, just hang it up. You know, you could just poke a hole in it and run um, a string through it so you can hang it up and let it air dry. Since they are a natural item, they can grow mildew if they're left soggy, just like if you didn't hang up um, a washcloth. But you can always sanitize them with a quick dip in some bleach water and hang them back up and r rinse them out and then hang them back up. Since they... Um, can get to be you know two feet long I think they make great bath sponges and you can just soap them up and scrub all over and you can just reach over your shoulder and um, get to the middle of your back if you have issues with squash vine borers in your garden you know those awful moths that lay eggs on squash plants and then the larva will get into the vine and eat it up well good news squash vine borers don't like leaf of plants so it's probably because they have like really tough vines but anyway if you're looking to outsmart squash vine borers then give loofah a try this year i think they're awesome plants and they're weird looking and you can eat them I, i've already said all that stuff you are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share with your gardening friends. Or 
head over to like Spotify or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hope Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play and pause and rerun my show whenever you want, download some episodes and leave a review. It's super quick and just a click. It's super quick. All you have to do is like click on those little stars. It's going to help others find Plow and Hose and it lets folks know that it's a show worth giving a listen. Okay, now that we have all kinds of things coming back to life and new baby plants sprouting up and pretty soon we'll have lots of fruits and veggies, but as we are waiting for all the great produce to set and ripen, all the blossoms and the fresh new growth are going to attract all kinds of hungry insects and critters. Gardening and growing things is fun and relaxing, but it also can be kind of challenging, especially if you prefer gardening organically without depending on synthetic agricultural products like fertilizers and pesticides. Organic gardening, to be successful with organic gardening, it really relies pretty heavily on observation. By looking at your plants and their growing conditions, you will be in a much better position to address issues early on before too much damage has happened. Losing your harvest or the entire plant is really discouraging and depressing. So get out there and visit your little patch daily and see what's going on. You're going to learn so much just by going out and checking on your plants. For me, mornings are great, but you'll see differences in the afternoon and in the evening. You'll learn which plants are getting too much sun, you'll see different insects, and you'll figure out if you're watering enough. Just like most things in life, it's really just better to be proactive than reactive, so get out there and check on your plants. Healthy plants with healthy soil are more likely to be able to recover from um, minor insect damage. You know, a nibble here and there usually won't be devastating unless they cut the plant off at the base, and that, that happens sometimes. Synthetic fertilizers and pesticides are expensive, and they can really screw up your soil biology. Lots of times they kill good bugs along with bad bugs and they can build up in your soil so I prefer a more gentle way of managing my garden when I'm out in the garden it's usually just like a quick walk through Um, most days I don't even put on any gloves Uh, most of the time it's because I can't find them but I don't really get too dirty um, pulling little weeds or clipping off damaged leaves Snails and most caterpillars are just really easy to just pull off and flick away from the garden. Other bugs can get squirted with a hose or if there's a, if there is like a problem like an ant, ant mind, uh, an ant mound, I'll just go find my gloves and my tools. So as we transition into the really active growing season, I thought I would spend a little time today talking about things that we can keep on hand to help you deal with hungry insects. 
most minor infestations can be dealt with relocation. As you are out in your garden, and let's say you notice some aphids on a plant, um, just check out the plant all over. If it's just like a small congregation on a leaf or two, just pinch off the leaf and move it away from your garden. You can roll it up and crush it and crush the bugs and just like toss it into your compost. Um, a healthy plant won't miss a couple of leaves and they definitely aren't going to miss the bugs. Keep checking on your plants the next day or later in the afternoon. If you see more bugs or evidence of bugs, you can always take next steps and give them a good squirt of water with from the hose and just blast those bugs off your plants. Check them again. Um, if you still see bugs, then you will probably want to treat your plants to get rid of them. But you need to know what kind of bugs you're dealing with so that you can treat them correctly. If you um, have pill bugs, slugs, or snails, then you can deal with them by setting up beer traps or fruit traps in your garden. Fruit traps are give you the opportunity to relocate slugs and pill bugs to your compost pile. Beer traps are more lethal to these critters, but they're really effective. I spoke about pill bug traps last week on the show. So if you missed last week's show, you can um, just download the podcast and learn how gross and disgusting, but really effective beer traps are. Other soft bodied insects like mealybugs, aphids, scale, spider mites, they all can be easily controlled with insecticidal soap. And you can make some soapy water and put it in a spray bottle, or you can buy some already made um, at the store. All, it seems like all the, the big chain stores have started carrying um, a minimal amount of organic um, pesticides, and they all have, they all carry insecticidal soap, but it's really just super easy to make um, some all by yourself at home. You just need like a half gallon of water, a tablespoon of dish detergent, and a tablespoon of some sort of vegetable oil. Mix these three things together and add it to a spray bottle, and then you have yourself some insecticidal soap that you can take care of an infestation. Insecticidal soap kills um, bugs by suffocating the critters. The soapy water and the oil solution clings to soft-bodied bugs. The detergent dissolves the waxy coating on bugs, and this helps them dehydrate. And the oil, um, it helps the soap stick, and it prevents their little bodies from reforming the wax, but then it also suffocates them. To me, that sounds like an absolute horrible way to die. I'm really glad I'm not a soft-bodied insect. Anyway, it doesn't matter if your insecticidal soap is homemade or store-bought. They only work when the spray hits the bugs. It has to be wet to work, so um, don't spray your plants if they don't have bugs. You can't use it as a preventative. If it dries, it won't work. It's 
really safe and really effective, but you do need to apply it right. Just like you don't want to water in the full sun, you don't want to spray insecticidal soap when the sun is blazing down on your plants. Moisture on plants in the bright sun can magnify the sun rays and cause sun scale or sun scald damage. Um, those are like bleach out spots on your leaves. So if you're using any sort of liquid liquid treatments like compost tea or insecticidal soap, use them in the morning before the heat of the day. If you find that you have a lot of caterpillars eating of your plants, you know, so many that you can't keep up with picking them off every day, you can get some liquid BT to spray on your plants. This is Bacillus thuringiensis. That's a total mouthful, so it's almost always referred to as BT. If you ask for BT at your local nursery, they're going to know what you're talking about. They probably can't pronounce it either, so just ask for BT. BT is a bacteria that is lethal to caterpillars and insect larvae, but it's completely harmless to humans and pets and plants, and it's very appropriate for organic gardening. The caterpillars eat the BT, and then it gets in their guts, and it kills them. Just read the instructions on the package because some are ready to use um, and then others need to be diluted. Either kind are very effective for killing hungry caterpillars. Just get familiar with the types of caterpillars that you have because you want to make sure that you aren't unintentionally killing the ones that you may want to keep around like really pretty butterflies or moths. The bigger the caterpillar, the more destructive they can be. The bigger ones that I find in my garden, they tend to get relocated to the chicken yard where the chickens decide their fate, but you might not have that option. So BT spray is quick and easy and it's organic and it will deal with your caterpillar problem. Diatomaceous earth is another organic product that you can keep around to help address insect issues. Diatomaceous earth is a powdered mineral product that you can use to deal with larger crawling insects like beetles, fleas, and roaches. It scratch, you know, when they crawl across it, it scratches their bodies and it causes them to de um, dehydrate and dry out. But it's safe for humans and pets and it's really easy to use. You can put it in a shaker and then you can sprinkle it around your plants, but there is a downside to using it in your garden. Diatomaceous earth does not discriminate between the bad bugs and good bugs that we do want, like ladybugs, lacewings, butterflies and bees. So just be careful and thoughtful when using diatomaceous earth. Frequently checking on your garden and keeping an eye out for bugs and bug damage is going to save you a lot of heartache if you're able to catch problems early. If you deal with problems when you first notice them, you're going to be more successful with your plants and you'll have a much better harvest. And you're not going to be tempted to use synthetic pesticides. They can be harmful to wildlife and pets and people, and they can really screw up your soil biology. 
There are plenty of simple and inexpensive things you can do to deal with insects before they destroy your plants. You can remove infested leaves. You can pick off bugs and flick them away from your garden. You can set up beer or fruit traps. You can blast your plants with a water hose and spray off um, bugs. You can mix up some homemade insecticidal soap and spray the bad bugs off your plants. For caterpillars and other soft larvae, you can use BT. Either spray it or mix it up and um, pour it on like a, a drench. For crawling insects, you can use diatomaceous earth. Pest control does not have to be expensive or unsafe. You don't have to buy a lot of products and you definitely do not have to use toxic synthetic products to eliminate problems in your garden. Just pay attention to what's going on in your garden and take some time and learn about the critters that want to hang out and live with your plants. That is all I have for y'all today. Thank you so much for joining me. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.